Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kane and Rince podcast, volume 7, issue 313. We're up to Resident Evil 3 Nemesis in our series of Resident Evil podcasts, but we also have some other games coming up on the show, including Marvel Puzzle Quest, Final Fantasy 3, continuing that series. We have a one-off show, which is all about the Soul Edge and Soul Calibur series. Then we're going to do a similar thing, but for a very different kind of game. It's uh, the Worms series. And following that, it's a show all about the Stanley Parable. Head to canarince.com for the full schedule, up to and including the end of the year. You can also find our forum and various other links to things that we put out and put in. On there, you can subscribe to our Patreon. If you enjoy the work that we do and the podcast that we make for your listening pleasure, you can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month or more if you prefer. It's currently around 70 odd pence or around 80 odd euro cents a month for which uh, four podcasts really and uh, plus sound of play once a week as well and various other extra bits and bobs. You also get the show a week early if you subscribe and uh, some more interesting things coming soon as well. Patreon.com slash Every dollar really, really helps us uh, keep on doing what we're doing. You can also donate via PayPal if you don't want to get into the monthly subscription thing. There's a button on the homepage. We also have a merchandise store, shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash We have logo, T-shirts and bags. We also have a couple of novelty items, uh, also T-shirts, but uh, but with logos referring to uh, things you may have heard on the podcast. Check that out, including our fancy new Very Doom shirt. We also have an Amazon Associates link on the homepage. If you do your Amazon shopping through there, click through our site, then go and add items to your basket and check out. We get a little kickback. So that's another way you can support our endeavours. And it's all very gratefully received. As I mentioned there, we have our other Sound of Play podcast that comes out every Wednesday. We talk about and listen to video games music. Please subscribe, review and rate both the shows and everything else we do wherever you can and also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Now joining me Leon Cox in issue 313 are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Mikhail Croder. You know what's coming, Rev? Stars. Okay, we we might have to have a stars off later cuz I reckon I can do better than that. <laughs> I think so. It's a very it's a very tricky uh, thing to get right actually. It's for it is. something so deceptively simple. I think I try I practiced uh, 20 times and all 20 times it sounded vaguely different. Mm, yes. I don't know how many actual voice samples are used in the game. Is it just the one over and over again or are there variants? I didn't really clock that. Uh, there are some slight variants. Uh, I okay. tried to uh, mimic the very first uh, instance of him saying it, but uh, yeah, it's surprisingly difficult to get exactly right. And I have got the cast list uh, for us to look at later on, uh, but I'm not sure if, if Nemesis is credited. That'll be a little surprise for me and you as well as the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> If so, we uh, re- recover this game again, like we do Resident Evil Four, then I'll do uh, I'll do it better. Okay, that's a promise. Uh, we'll see you in about seven or eight years, or, exactly. or, or possibly more. You, you'll have the right voice for it by then, especially if you uh, <laughs> if you start smoking. Yeah, that's mm. that's a that's a that's a prerequisite. That's a, that's a great tip. Uh, <laughs> right, so we are up to our third Resident Evil game in this series that we're doing. Uh, of the mainline numbered games, concluding at the end of the year with seven. Capcom, of course, the developer and publisher. We have a change of director. This time the director is one, Kazuhiro Ayoama. Formerly of Konami, I looked up on his CV. Uh, He worked on the Super Nintendo Tiny Toon Adventures game as a programmer. 
which was pretty cool. Also, uh, Turtles Tournament Fighters. He also worked on the Majestic ISS Deluxe International Superstar Soccer. He also worked on the Ganbare Goemon games. And he came on to Capcom, uh, came on board at Capcom around the time of Resi 2, I think, and was a system planner on that game. Shinji Mikami uh, remained as producer, though. And uh, the game was released in Japan in September 1999, a couple of months later in America, a couple of months after that in the EU. There was a PC version, came out in June 2000, November 2000 in Europe, and America had to wait until 2001. It's one of those rare scenarios. Uh, the Dreamcast version also arrived in 2000, as that console was uh, getting Code Veronica. They released two and three as separate releases. Uh, the GameCube version came three years later, uh, January in Japan and North America, and May in Europe 2003. And, of course, the PSN version, uh, which is NTSC in Europe as well. I'm not sure when it came out in Europe, but it came out in Japan in 2008, North America in 2009. Uh, there's no remake as yet, uh, and nothing has been announced while we wait for the Resident Evil 2 remake. The game reviewed pretty darn well at the time. Uh, there were around 35 reviews clocked on game rankings, and the average of that is just over 88%, so pretty solid. That included the official PlayStation magazine in the UK giving it a whopping 10 out of 10, but IGN also gave it a 9.4. It got a 9 in CMVG and an 8, a solid 8 in Edge. Uh, it came as a runner-up in GameSpot's 1999 Adventure Game of the Year. The versions... As they came out subsequently, each reviewed a little less well than the previous one, not necessarily because of technical shortcomings, but just because I think it was a case of, wait a minute, this is an old game being re-released, mm. and sometimes these things are viewed more dimly than others, uh, often depending on the price tag and context of what's in the market, what, what it's up against at the moment. So the Dreamcast version reviewed pretty well at just over 81%, PC version 74%. The GameCube version was less well received at 64%, but is actually, I believe, one of the better versions to play. So that's, again, to stress, that doesn't reflect that it's a poor port. It reflects that people were less interested in, um, or, or maybe we should say reviewers were uh, more cautious about giving a very high rating to a to a four-year-old game that was being released at mid-price, I think. Uh, user reviews, well, IMDb, obviously it's not a game site, but it has games on it. Uh, 8.7 from 3,247 uh, punters. It's not too bad at all. And the game sold 3.7 odd million on PlayStation 1, as regards the other versions, all I know is that the, the GameCube version sold under 100,000 units and, uh, yeah, I expect dribs and drabs for subsequent versions. Uh, there will be a spoiler warning. Obviously, this game is heading for 20 years old and it's all you could argue it's almost inconsequential, but there is one fairly major event that happens in the end of the game. So we will spoiler warn it in case you've never concluded Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. And now we shall hear uh, when we played it, when we completed it and how we did it. <laughs> uh, let's start with Mikhail. I played it for a very uh, short bit in a, the year it got released at a friend's house who showed the game to me. And I was a 24-year-old dismissive uh, blasé Mikhail <laughs> who uh -huh. uh, felt like, oh, this just lo looks just like Resident Evil 2, you know, are we doing this uh, again? Hmm. 
you know how quickly your your own opinion and uh, sentiment can change towards a series that I <laughs> just felt so so fondly about uh, during those times. I guess my eyes were more on the horizon of exciting new new systems and uh, things to come. Right. So yeah, I, I'm not even sure I knew about this whole Nemesis thing because uh, we we just played the opening for a little bit. Uh, and it takes a little while for our uh, our friend to first make his appearance. Yep. Then, as I started playing with another friend through the whole uh, Resident Evil series again last year, or the year before that, we started with Resident Evil Two. Actually, uh, okay. Uh, last year we did uh, Resident Evil Three. Uh, I played it through for the for the very first time. Mm. And I had a very good time doing it and felt, uh, yeah, quite more impressed about certain aspects of it than I thought I would be uh, be feeling. Okay, cool. And that was the PS1 version? Yeah, PS1 version indeed. Been back to it more recently at all? It was fairly late last year that we finished it. Um, I dabbled a little bit more with the mercenaries after that. The mer- uh, ah. It's mercenary mode. Okay. Josh, how about you? Yeah, so... Um I didn't get to Resident Evil 3 until quite recently. Um, Mm -hmm. So last year, um, Resident Evil 7 came out and it was met with rave reviews. And I was, you know, weighing up um, whether to buy it straight away or or wait for a sale. And then I was thinking, I own Resident Evil Remake and I own Resident Evil 2 and I haven't played much of them. Instead of you know, diving straight into a new game. Why don't I use the, you know, the excitement I'm feeling for Seven to fuel me getting through these older titles that I haven't gotten through? So I I finished Resident Evil Remake, loved it. Finished Resident Evil 2, loved that as well. And I was still feeling the itch for that kind of classic um, Resident Mm -hmm. Evil gameplay. And 3 was one that I knew was liked, but wasn't kind of as well revered as kind of Remake 2 and, and Resident Evil 4. So I thought, you know what, I'll give it a shot. It's It was on sale at the time. I think it was coinciding with something with Resident Evil 7. I, I, I'm not particularly sure on that front. But it was on sale, so I picked it up for something like, you know, six or seven quid, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a fair way through it and I was really really enjoying what I was playing but um, more than any and we'll get onto this but more than any other classic entry in this series um, this game really got to me it was really frightening so Mm. I kind of left it just not because for any negative reason, but just because I felt so tense playing it that um, I really struggled to get through it. And so when I saw um, this kind of show up on the schedule, um, well, for, like first of all, I was kind of eager to be on any Resident Evil show. But if there was, you know, if there was one I could be on, it would be great for it to be free, um, just so I can have something motivating me to get through it, like I did with uh, Amnesia and Alien Isolation before that. So yeah, um, yeah I, I was glad that I, uh, I, I was glad to. Uh, so I, I finished it for the show, and I'm glad I had this deadline motivating me. Hmm. You've been through the uh, been through the mill, yeah. I, I know. I I remember that feeling. I bought this. I'm pretty sure I bought it on launch or very close to. I don't have a strong recollection of going out to buy this one. I think the excitement of the series after two. If uh, if if you listen to the Resident Evil Two show, listeners, you'll know that I bought that on day one and played it four times 
in a row over the weekend. I was uh, yeah pumped for that game and, and loved my time with it. Um, I feel like as the reviews possibly reflected that because I think we already knew about the incoming Code Veronica at this point and so we knew that kind of next-gen graphics were coming on the Dreamcast and the PS1 was starting to show its age and, and, and so on at this point. Um, in fact, I possibly would have already even had my Dreamcast when this came out. So uh, you you were already starting to have that thing where last-gen graphics were starting to look a little rough. So I think it, it wasn't that, you know, I wasn't that I wasn't playing any more PS1 games. It's just that the, the, the shine had slightly been taken off. So I think that's why I have less of a strong recollection about when I bought it. But I remember starting it a good uh, two or three times and, yeah, it pretty much, um, it yeah, kicked in the anxieties um, playing on the default difficulty which is hard of the easy and hard and we'll talk about the differences shortly um, I found it was uh, a bit much a bit more anxiety than I actually wanted to to go through playing a game so I put it down for a while probably also playing other things came back to it after I'd, I'd had it several months uh, and then played it through on easy and completed it fairly rapidly easy is a lot easier as we'll talk about uh, and then kind Kind of put it aside until very recently uh, I picked it up on PlayStation Plus some years ago now whenever they was whenever they were releasing uh, PS1 games as part of PS Plus in the early days very happy as I've mentioned before that with 2 and 3 they actually released the NTSC US versions uh, to download so you even get the Sony Computer Entertainment America on the PlayStation boot up when you when you load it up on your PS3 even if you're in Europe so you know that you're getting the full screen full speed experience and uh, as we talked about in the Resident Evil 2 show it really does make a difference to how snappy everything feels both in terms of movement and uh, menu interaction so but I hadn't played it through until uh, just this last few weeks uh, played it through for the show and I uh, braved the hard difficulty, which uh, which basically I consider survival horror default difficulty rather than the easy. So uh, yeah, I finished it. I had a couple of um, couple of difficulty spikes, but we'll we'll get into that. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, I've done it twice, almost twenty years apart, basically. It's a short version. <laughs> it's uh it's funny that you both mentioned that anxiety. Uh, yeah. Because before I started uh, playing it for the first time through with my friend passing the controller around, I remember buying it a couple of years before that to uh, build my Resident Evil collection to get the whole series complete, and just popping it in uh, on a very late hour, late at night, and knowing about Nemesis, it's sort mm. of e even in the early stages of the game, I sort of felt his presence yeah. there somehow. It was this really strange. Uh, realization and I I think I stopped playing fairly quickly because the tension was just getting too much for me somehow yeah yeah uh, this is as good a point as any to plug our uh, one of our recent blog pieces it will have been up a couple of weeks by the time you hear this but uh, we have Brian Edwards talking about anxiety in gaming and how uh, it can actually affect the kind of games that you enjoy or don't enjoy or don't want to play at a particular point and how different people's different kinds of anxieties uh, will play into different kinds of games um it's very interesting anyway it doesn't specifically mention this but this is certainly one that uh, as we'll hear from some of our correspondents uh, it did engender a certain amount of dread uh, in a, a fun video gamey way for the most part but enough to actually make each of us not always want to necessarily 
put it on and put ourselves through that. Uh, yeah. We'll get into how much it's retained of that and how much it, uh, whether it still works uh, later on for us individually. Maybe uh, maybe we each find different uh, different thing. Um, speaking of listener correspondence from the community, canarince.com slash forum. Here's our first piece of the show from Simon Sloth, who says, this game is a strange one for me. I completed it around the time of release, shortly after finishing the second game. At the time, I thought it was incredible. Trivial improvements like not having to press cross to climb stairs and the more notable choice system were a huge deal. The nemesis was a constant threat and was genuinely frightening in a way that the previous game's antagonists hadn't been. Until replaying it recently, I would have considered it my favourite in the series. I was that invested in the series at this point that I even went as far as to read all the companion novels which fleshed out the story and lore. My opinion has now changed drastically. Adjectives like exciting, scary and challenging, which I would have previously used, are now replaced by annoyance and frustration. I think it really boils down to the game's respect for my time, or lack of. I died more times than I could count at points when I hadn't saved for a while. Invariably, the nemesis would turn up out of nowhere, lifting me up and then tossing me into a corner where he would gleefully pick me up again just as I rose to my feet. No amount of fancy dodging or quick turns could help in these situations which happen far too often. Maybe I'm rubbish. Maybe this uh, helplessness is supposed to convey fear, but it just made me throw the controller in annoyance. As a teenager, perhaps this is what drew me in, and with an exorbitant amount of leisure time I could handle the demands in the here and now, I just don't have time for this. Despite that, I ploughed on through, saving a total of 27 times just in case I could rekindle the old magic. Instead, I'm left with a few new creases on my forehead from frowning from start to finish. I'm sad that something I had warm, fuzzy feelings toward now leaves me cold, but I'm sure this is inevitable. Here's hoping that Code Veronica has fared a little better. Speak to you in a month, hopefully. Um, (laughs) We shall see. Uh, slightly counter to this, we have a contribution from Shenzhen88, who says, Despite the many, many times I've replayed this game, I am still terrified when I play through Resident Evil 3. The use of Nemesis as a nearly unstoppable undead Terminator was a masterstroke of horror. The idea that he could burst into a room and stop Jill's quest dead at any time is highly scary, although as I've got older you can figure out the points and timings of when he'll pop his head in. Nonetheless, the uncertainty creates a level of fear I feel modern horror games lack today, and the tension gave the 11-year-old me an incredible rush. Away from the star of the show, Resident Evil 3 is the perfect use of the classic Resi formula. Movement feels as best as it can be for the tank controls era, with the 180 turn helping out immensely. Actually going outside a police department, Spencer Mansion type of location and into Raccoon City expanded the world and lore of Resi. The backgrounds and objects of destroyed cars and buildings on fire added to the apocalyptic atmosphere away from the quiet moments of Resi 1 and 2. The soundtrack impressed me more than the other PlayStation 1 outings, being honest. I can understand people struggling with the difficulty. It's certainly a step up from 2. To finish this outing with no saves is a challenge that I have only managed once or twice. Then again, the genre is survival horror and you are meant to be on the back foot throughout. Nemesis randomly popping his head into Jill's desperate mission of survival never gets frustrating for me though. Additions like the live action choices push you to think quickly creating a mental panic since the right decision could help out Jill and being too slow may give you a nasty surprise. There's plenty of replayability here which is something I think is lacking from 1 and 2 with a now traditional mercenaries bonus game, different ways to take down Nemesis and multiple route choices and cutscenes throughout. I think this is the most value I've had from a pre-4 Resident Evil game. I have such a connection with this game, it's bare bones usually would warrant a it's fine response from me. 
However, it's a perfect storm of technical evolution, a desperate and relatable quest of our heroine's battle to survive against the odds, a hilariously dodgy B-movie script, and one iconic, nigh-on-unstoppable villain that touched me as a kid and still to this day. I have no problem placing Resi 3 as my favourite Resident Evil game. Hmm. Interesting what he said about uh, the replayability, because I wouldn't typically associate it with uh, Resident Evil 3 since it's the first game where there's only a single campaign. Yeah. Uh, where you there's only one character to play through with uh, through it with. But they went through some lengths to indeed make you want to replay the camp that single campaign again uh, for the different paths and choices you could make. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So I guess uh, one part of the Resident Evil 3 story is fairly well known. I think we've even already mentioned it in in passing. Um, so after the release of, of 2, Capcom began working on multiple Resi projects, as you'd expect. The team led by Resident Evil 2's Hideki Kamiya uh, developed what was planned to be the next main installment uh, however, according to Resident Evil 3 scenario writer Yasuhisha Kawamura, the intended game was loosely set on a luxury cruise liner and had a general plot where Hunk was attempting to bring back a sample of the G-Virus. Uh, Capcom realised that the game would not be complete in time for a PlayStation release due to Sony's announcement of the PS2, so the project was cancelled. As Capcom didn't want fans to wait some years for a new game, the company promoted, or, or, or its shareholders presumably, the company promoted one of its other projects as the third main canonical game, while Kamiya's team moved on to Resident Evil 4, which that seems very early to be starting work on Resi 4, but... Uh... I think that game eventually turned into Devil May Cry, but uh, Camille's team was working. Ah, on. yes, that must be, yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Because that came out in 2001. Yeah. yeah. Uh, development of the game began with a team of 20 people, talking Resident Evil 3 here. However, as the game was getting closer to its final release date, the development team increased to between 40 and 50, which is uh, fairly uh, standard for the time, I would think. Uh, this spin-off game was originally intended to introduce a new character who would have to escape from an infected Raccoon City. After the game's promotion to a, a mainline uh, entry, uh, Resident Evil 3, Capcom decided that Jill Valentine would be the main character and Raccoon City would be destroyed. Unlike the majority of the early scripts in the series, the scenario of the game wasn't created by Capcom's flagship studio, but by an internal writer, Kawamura, uh, who had very little experience with the Resi series at the time. He had to play the original game to familiarise himself with the fictional universe. Uh, nevertheless, the story was proofread and sanctioned by flagship to avoid continuity errors with other instalments, although there may be one or two, more of which later. Uh, Shinji Mikami was originally against calling the game... Biohazard 3, he felt that Code Veronica uh, advanced the story more, was the true part 3, and that Resident Evil 3 should be called 1.9 or 1 1.5. Uh, Capcom decided that since Resi 3 had been specifically developed for the PlayStation, just like Resi 1 and Resi 2, uh, it should have a number in the title to maintain continuity. So since Code Veronica had originally been developed for the Dreamcast, it was given that subtitle instead of a number to differentiate it from the main series, even though it is actually still very much a part of the main series. You could see uh, Ikami's objections to this, right? Since uh, uh, Resident Evil 3, is, the, the story pretty much runs parallel to that of 2. Yes, absolutely. So it's very much a side story. It is, uh, yeah. Resident Evil Gaiden would have seemed to have been the 
the perfect title as far as I'm concerned. Uh, featured at the Tokyo Game Show in March 1999. Uh, I think that was where it was first shown. Then there was a playable version at E3 in 99. Uh, although at the time the Dodge hadn't yet been completed and added to the code. So it was absent from that demo. Andrew Brown from the forum says Resident Evil 3 feels like the most inconsequential entry in the mainline series. Jill, clad in in an extremely impractical miniskirt and tube top combo, tries to escape from the infected raccoon city and accidentally gets embroiled in another umbrella plot along the way. Ultimately, she succeeds and the rest of the series seems to promptly forget that Resident Evil 3 exists, except as a broad strokes, the one where raccoon city is nuked concept. But if Resident Evil 3's contributions to the early story arc feel inconsequential, its experiments feel significant. Nemesis feels like the the biggest addition, a powerful and singular foe who can appear at any time to menace Jill and her companions, heralded by his iconic growl of stars. Ah, excellent. <laughs> the Nemesis concept would be further built upon in the Resi 1 remake with more intelligent zombies capable of moving from room to room in the mansion. Also added are survivors around the city, the last breaths of life in the zombie apocalypse. Few of them can be saved, and the ones that can feel doomed. It all adds to the fruitlessness of Carlos's mission and further add to the tragedy that the UBC's real mission is to extract umbrella assets and not help survivors. Resident Evil 3 feels more notable for the additions it brings to the Resident Evil game design than for the steps it takes forward in its narrative, making it simultaneously feel like a step forward for the series, but also like it's standing still. Its origins as a guide end game are likely uh, likely contribute to this. It would be fair to describe Code Veronica as the real Resident Evil 3. I think that is fair enough. So let's talk about the scenario and setting and, and did it excite you guys? So uh, we're back to one disc, as you say, one character for the first time in the series. No, no selection options. I quite like that sort of streamlined aspect. Um, going back to Raccoon City and briefly the iconic, if insane, police station from the second game. <laughs> um, the story is set either side of the events depicted in Resident Evil 2 with a gap as part of the narrative. Um, yeah, like... Uh, we had a lot of correspondence for Resident Evil 2, people saying this is aliens to Resi 1's alien, that sort of bigger, better, more action, explosions, zombies, this kind of thing. But if anything, um, Resident Evil 3 continues with that and actually probably amps it up even further. Yeah, there are a lot less puzzles than in 2 even yes. overall. It's it's very much uh, focused on combat and resource management yeah surviving Almost, yeah for for the for the for let's say 70 percent uh, of it there's two or three uh quite f- involved puzzles we'll, we'll talk about them later but yes you're you're right puzzles are, are few and far between the 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 pressing concerns are nearly always health save save ribbons if you save a lot and uh and ammo yeah yeah and since there is no there are no descent into um, insane uh, laboratories really in it no the selection of regular enemies is uh, fairly limited as well there's a lot of zombies there are some chimeras running around in the street there are the cerberus the the dogs and later on you get some hunters as well brain suckers and spiders yeah Exactly, and yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's yes, it does. Oh it more. seems like a less, uh, a, a smaller selection of enemies. Yeah, it's less of a crazy menagerie and more of a a, a standard zombie scenario. Yeah. yeah, 
I think it makes sense. Um, I, you know, n- narrative has never been the reason why I play RE games, but I think it makes sense mm. from a narrative perspective that this would be more actiony than even two, just because Jill's, you know, seen this before. Um, mm-hmm. the same with Leon in, in in Resident Evil Four. She's more equipped to deal with this than Leon and uh, Claire are in RE Two, and thus she's learned a few more tricks of the trade. So she knows how to dodge out of the way of yeah. the zombies. Um, she yeah. knows how to use in the environment around her a bit more. So, like from that, she knows how to to craft gunpowder. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, but um, uh, but from that standpoint. I, th- I think it does make sense that she's a little bit more capable, um, just that mm. she's not going into this scenario knowing nothing. She, she's learned a few things from her time in the Spencer yeah. Mansion, so it makes sense that she'd be better equipped and better able to deal with everything that's coming at and her. And as, uh, as, as Andrew has already mentioned, uh, she's also dressed, dressed rather casually for the whole oh, ordeal. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, uh, the three-word reviews go into this in, uh, at some length. Yeah. If three word reviews can, but I'm, I, I suppose I'm more interested to hear from you guys. Like from my point of view, I remember buying this and I, I knew the deal. I was interested to because I thought the whole interweaving scenarios thing with Resident Evil Two was so interesting. I thought it was really fascinating the idea that this game added a th- basically a th- kind of third tranche, although that it doesn't actually interweave with uh, with the events of Two specifically. It sort of does a little bit. You see some locations before or after. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, but playing the game now and memories of it are similar as well, which is that it lacks really uh, outstanding, iconic locations. Um, like the city obviously in itself is is cool and fun going through you know the the gritty back streets and and whatever but there's quite a lot of that and then it changes tack a few times towards the end you go to a clock tower and a hospital yeah. um but they're quite brief and none of them i would say in themselves for me really stood out as being utterly like as memorable as the mansion or even even the the loony police station in its entirety in the second game mm, yeah it's um Everything aesthetically that we said about uh, Resident Evil Two, almost you can apply uh, apply directly to uh, Resident Evil Three, uh, and the the clock tower is I think it's sort of small wink towards mansions and police stations. Yeah, uh, but it's very it's a very uh, small area, but yeah, I, I have to agree that uh, there there uh, even though the um, pre-rendered backgrounds are rendered rather lovely again and there's a lot of detail in there yeah it it does lack that sort of standout location yeah what i did think playing this again now is obviously looking at it through 2018 eyes and becoming increasingly accustomed to uh, even now you know 1080 graphics looking starting to look low res in the face of 4k and things um obviously this does have that you know grainy uh, sort of look about it but i was struck that even between resi 2 and this one they seem to have um you know kind of upped the ante in terms of the amount of detail that they could put into these rendered backdrops and also the variety of, of zombie sprites they'd obviously as we've said there were a lot more 
main humans, uh, you know, the, the main enemy being humans, but there are a lot more types. There was a lot more suggestion that these were actual civilians with different yeah, uniforms yeah. on and different outfits and stuff you like get that. A, you get a sense of the, the history of the people or they were before they turned undeath. Yeah. yeah. But I think on the flip side, that makes it feel weirder when things like the chimeras and, and whatever else turn up. Uh, it almost feels like it feels slightly out of place, whereas I, I feel like in the previous games there was a, a, there was a natural sense of progression the way they were introduced. So yeah. the the you know the the famous Cerberus, the famous liquor, all these great enemy introductions, and obviously Nemesis gets one here. But a lot of the stuff like the suddenly you're just you go from one room to another, and oh, there's massive spiders in it. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. why I didn't get any sense that I was entering an area where there would be brain sucking enemies or massive spiders, and I'm quite happy to fight them and, and whatever, but it doesn't yeah. feel like they're quite as subtly incorporated. I, I do think Resident Evil 3 feels like a, a, a greatest hits album at certain points <laughs> um, in terms of like um, encounter design and level design. It's it's like, oh, remember these enemies from Resident Evil 1? Remember these yeah. guys from Resident Evil 2? Um, and the level design's like that as well. The, like the police station is very much like, that's a direct reference to Resident Evil 2. And the, the clock tower feels like a kind of, a suggestion of a reference to the mansion in Resident Evil 1. And that's not necessarily a criticism. It's more just an observation. I think it. you're mm. right, Leon. It doesn't have a location, an iconic location that it can really call its own. However, I, I would say that, you know, that street level stuff, I feel, I felt like, in this game, more than two, I got a sense of the devastation that was being caused in Raccoon City. Um, yeah. Because you spend a lot of time in Resident Evil 2 just indoors, like going through, the, yeah. you know, the police station and, and other locations and, and the sewers, etc. Whereas here in Resident Evil 3, because you're spending so much time on the streets, you get a better sense of the scale of the devastation, like all the cars up in flames and, um, you know... The, the variety of zombies as well helps kind of, you know, subtly suggest, okay, like every, you know, any person from every walk of life has been affected by this. This isn't just yeah. soldiers and policemen getting infected. These are everyday working people. And yeah. on that side, I think it's maybe a little bit stronger than two. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's uh, very true what you said, uh, that the previous infected people were police officers, um, soldiers, and also lab workers uh, for a very large uh, yes. portion. And also, Josh mentioned narrative logic before, and I, th I think what you said about the enemies, the, the random enemies appearing, you know, I, I wasn't so weirded out by it. To me, it made more sense that the city would be overrun by everything that uh, fled from the laboratories, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, I can buy it. Yeah, yeah, so uh, it, it didn't feel too weird to me. No, it, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not terrible. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just the sort of sudden transitions. Yeah. And also this, this game introduces one of, one of its uh, many little uh, sort of mechanical uh, or system novelties is that, it introduces semi-procedurally uh, or randomly generated encounters. So you might load a game and then one time you'll go into a room and it will be one kind of enemy and one, and then another time it will be something completely different uh, yeah. and, a, and a different number, which is, which you know, it's just a cool idea and fun. But it, that, uh, that occurred to me after a, a death and a, and a quick reload, yeah. Yeah, but it loses <laughs> that sense that 
you know, if there's a if there's a location that's full of a certain kind of enemy, there used to be a sort of there. I felt like there was a rationale for yeah. that. Yeah. So just to to yeah. be able to swap it out sent, suggests that there was no rationale and it's just whatever. But obviously, you know, gameplay, uh, yeah, gameplay variety is a good thing too. And, so. and more than just a sense of rationale, just like a sense of theatre. Um, they certainly do that with Nemesis, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But with mm. the you know standard enemies in Resident Evil One and Resident Evil Two, their introductions were dramatic. Like the lick, the yeah. introduction of the liquor is. Yeah. Fantastic fantastic and there are mm. several kind of little tiny set pieces with the liquor later on like with the uh, uh the interrogation room with the glass that you can only see one way and, mm. and stuff yeah. like that there are those like little iconic moments with the kind of regular enemies that stick out in your memory whereas um i can't think of any kind of iconic moments with the regular enemies in resident no. evil 3 they're all associated with nemesis and no liquors here they didn't make it into the uh, the game. They were obviously isolated to the areas that, <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> even though you visit some of the same places. Yeah, um, maybe I'm they're just sure. very very territorial. Yeah, but we do go to back to the police station, and yeah. we do we do see them there. So they could have they could have bunged a liquor in, but maybe there was just no more room on the disc, and they yeah. went with some classics. Um, but it's fine. Yeah, it's uh, that's all. It's all fine. Um, yeah, so as we say, there's only the one character, Jill. So interestingly, she's played by a different actor in this game, Catherine Disher. She never plays Jill before or again since, as far as I can work out from her uh, from her IMDb. She's done other voices for Capcom, including Psylocke, Storm and Spiral in Marvel, Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Um, plenty of other cartoon and TV work as well. Um, obviously, she's the the voice you hear the most. There's also Vince Carazza, uh, who plays Carlos, who's uh, the merc that you spend the most time with. Uh, also, a, a brief ish, uh, a playable section. Yeah. Um, also, a uh, a still very much working voice actor. Well, was up until 2016 anyway. But I'm very sad to report that. I've just looked it up and Tony Rosato was the Italian man who provided the voice of the nemesis. And he was also a working actor up until his death last year, 2017. So sadly, the man who provided the voice of the nemesis is no longer with us, died at the age of 62. Hmm. Rest in peace, Indeed. Tony Rosato. Uh, your work lives on uh, in bad impressions all over the Internet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Capcom chose Jill as the protagonist of the game because she was the only suitable character remaining, noting that Claire and Chris Redfield were previously chosen for Code Veronica. So that decision had already been made. And when this game was promoted from Gaiden to mainline number of the series, it had to be somebody who we recognised, I guess. I mean, could they have gone with Rebecca at this point, If I suppose? But maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, and yes, and then there's Carlos. As I say, Vince Kratzer plays Carlos. Uh, I would say the first in a long line of really irritating and uh, cheesy um, sub-characters, uh, sidekick yeah. characters. Yeah. Normally male, normally annoyingly cocky, uh, brash, sort of sub-80s American action movie one-liners, uh, awful flirting technique, like just the worst, <laughs> sleazy, creepy. Bunch of creepers. Yeah, uh, uh, Carlos, as with Steve from Resident Evil Code Veronica and Billy from Resident Evil Zero, to name two of the others, is never seen or mentioned again in later installments. 
Any thoughts yeah. on Carlos or any of the other Mercs? Mikhail, who's who's kind of uh, the the second antagonist, and uh, and the others who you do come across. Yeah, it's an interesting bunch you you meet up with, and uh, only Mikhail seems to to have a proper devious mind, and the rest sort of are of the I'm just following orders uh, ilk, and it's they do job. show some. Uh, they do show show some uh, some heart, some remorse, uh, bra- bravery, and remorse. Uh, yeah, from time to time. Yeah, most yeah. of them get eaten, yeah, <laughs> or killed in some way. But it's interesting that you that you meet up with a, a bunch of uh, umbrella corps uh, mercenaries. Yeah, and it's just they're not just uh, firing uh, at will at you. I I think the the voice acting at this stage has reached the point where it's fine, um, but it's not brilliant. And the writing's not brilliant, so it kind of fades into the background for me. Um, mm. That's not a huge problem because mm. I'm not really necessarily here for narrative. And I, I think you know RE3 no. has different strengths, but I think there's you know RE1 is uh, for better or worse has an iconic kind of voice yes. cast. Yeah. Um, and I think you know RE4's not brilliant either, but it has some really cheesy classic lines oh that are quite quotable. Whereas this is kind of just treading water. I think it's just kind of serviceable kind of action movie dialogue. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. But um, okay. uh, personally, I would say yeah. I actually th- I thought this game was quite. Yeah, quite irritating. There, there were moments okay. which which were less bad, um, but overall, it was it was. I would say it was closer to uh, children's cartoon programming um, than that's yeah. Fair. It was some, somewhere fair. between that and and sort of uh, a, a, somewhere between sort of um, He Man or Mask and and uh, you know those those sorts of things. Uh, maybe with with uh, aspirations towards a really like Commando. Or something like that, mm. like you know, eighties, eighties yeah. action or the, or movie the, cheese. The, the outfits of mercenaries in the Predator. Yeah, but yeah. it actually, I, I, I feel exactly the same way, Josh. About the, it almost misses the appallingness of the earlier games, particularly the first one, because it now just becomes like this is just meh. Yeah. like when it when it was yeah. it was so bad, it was almost good. Um, yeah. it was memorable. There's nothing. There's there's very few lines here where you would. Other than you know the fact that everyone quotes the one line, <laughs> which is one word, <laughs> which is an acronym, yeah, uh, is is telling in itself. Yeah, there's there's not they don't have any quotables, uh, and yeah, you got some you got a thick Russian comedy accent in the yes, Mikhail. naturally, yeah, yeah. Also, so, obviously, a good the, throwback. The, for, the foreign the foreign bad guy archetype. Yeah, it's yeah, particularly the yeah the this is obviously a U.S. set game made by Japanese people, but um but very much with that U.S. Uh, centric idea, and it harks back to action movies of the '80s and early '90s, where the the red th- peril was still very much at, at the forefront of people's minds. Um, let's not get into that though. Uh, it's uh, we're recording this in April 2018 uh, for future uh, documentarians. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what might have happened by the time you. You hear this yeah. uh, nemesis himself then so inspired fairly obviously by the t1000 from t2 and other such uh, persistent enemies the design was uh, originally a rejected design for the tyrant 02 better known to some fans as mr x as we mentioned in resi 2 
Shinji Mikami said, I wanted to reduce a new kind of fear into the game, a persistent feeling of paranoia. The nemesis brings that on in spades. When it disappears after the first confrontation, you live in constant dread of the next attack. The idea is to make you feel like you're being stalked. Gentlemen, does it work and does it still work? It works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was, you know, coming to this game much later than than you guys. I was surprised how effective I, I mm. found Nemesis to be. Um, I know he's not the the first kind of, um, you know, ever present enemy in video games, but it was really interesting seeing how much. Uh, of an impact he's had uh, in terms of like modern uh, attempts at this like the star you know stars in the background uh, along with his kind of second theme which is called feel the tension i believe which is yeah, like right. a very vari- variation on his theme that's much more subtler and uh, meant to kind of um, instill uh, instill the player with this constant feeling of dread it might as well have been um, the scuttling bout of the alien uh, in the in the air ducts in alien isolation uh, along with the odd screech from it just kind mm-hmm. of reminding you that this immortal um, enemy is still there even though he's they're not right in front of you and not a threat at this time um, I I think what's so clever about nemesis is that I, I think it's interesting that um, T-1000 is cited as the, the, the main source of inspiration because, for me, it's actually um, uh, more similar to the first Terminator, yes, that, yeah. that kind of large, hulking creature that is uh, tougher and faster than you initially think it's yeah. going to be. I wonder be. if that's a misquote, actually. I wonder if maybe he or maybe he meant to refer to the yeah. T, whatever it was, 800, 400, I can't remember. But yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and the the feeling that, like, because you could, you whenever you encounter it early on, early on, you could take it on, you could kill it if you wanted to, but it keeps coming back and it's slightly tougher and it's slightly more monstrous. That kind of, yeah. the, the same thing as the first Terminator movie where his flesh starts to peel away and then eventually you're just left with this skeletal creature um, yeah. limping towards you. And it, like the, the final encounter with Nemesis is kind of like that, where you have this pitiful mutated creature that's still trying to kill you even though it's like near death um and just the 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 music and the sound design like i know i've been um we we complained about the voice acting but like his iconic line stars does send shivers down your spine um i think this is even though like we we've mentioned uh, um before that you know we don't think the encounter design or the locations are maybe as iconic as uh, the previous titles i think nemesis almost single-handedly makes up for that all the personality and uniqueness yeah. of this title are encapsulated by him he is the star of the of the show basically um <laughs> <laughs> yeah and <laughs> I I'm also before that transformation. I'm getting that I'm getting a very strong Jason Voorhees from Friday the Thirteenth vibe from yeah, it as well. Sure. That that that's yeah that uh, yeah hulking stalking presence uh, of, of decay. And maybe this is uh, not not an accident. I'm also just just the whole game me- uh, mechanic of being stalked by one very dangerous 
creature also calls back for me uh i've always felt like this to the the clock tower games uh that yeah uh, that preceded it and there is a clock Definitely. tower in this game yes so that might just be a very cheeky wink towards that, uh, that yeah series i think of games as well i think so yeah uh i think we have some i think carl's a fan of uh of the clock tower games uh, i'm not sure i don't think they all got localized into europe did they but um i know they have a sort of a, a cult following they'd be interesting to cover at some point yeah um, yeah, and for me, when when Nemesis is on the screen, it's sort of the tension does kind of deflate because I know I can run or stand my ground and fight him. Hmm. But uh, it's it's not like oh I'm for sure going to die. It's that those moments of silence before he can appear, and that just that yeah that yeah. jump when he just does uh, uh, suddenly burst through a wall or 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 uh in any other way makes mm. a sudden appearance that's yeah that's that's the heart racing moment for me yeah. and sometimes you can't see him just because of the camera angle which is obviously a staple i mean we haven't gone into uh detail about the actual sort of layout and mechanics of this game because uh we're assuming that people have either listened to the resident evil one and two podcasts or uh or are familiar with the genre and how it was back in the mid to late 90s but this is very much we'll, we'll talk about some of the mechanical changes but the template is pretty much identical to what's gone before with some refinements so yeah we still have the uh, the situations where you'll enter a location and with the fixed camera angle you'll you'll hear noises, but you won't know necessarily where things are. And yeah. Nemesis absolutely has that. So his music, the the underlying tension theme, will be playing. Then you could be simply navigating around a locale. And then the music amps up to his yes, Nemesis is actually here theme, but you still don't know which direction he's actually going to come from. Yeah. Uh, and then, as as you say, he moves considerably faster than you ne- might you might expect. And early on, he has a rocket launcher as well, <laughs> yeah. um, which is uh, is pretty dangerous. I mean, it, obviously, it's a slow firing weapon, yeah. and he's weak on one side in the sense that it's easy to dodge. Uh, his uh, his flailing and less less um, less deadly arm, but uh, but it still has the effect on me. Less so now, but back in the back in the the nineties when just the effect of the graphics and stuff were was still more potent because it was closer to what we were used to, close to the closer to the state of the art. Uh, it definitely had the effect of making me yeah basically too nervous to play the game on the tougher difficulty level. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, the the reason maybe why I'm also not very anxious to fight him or to run from him once he's on the scene uh, is um, part partly because if you just reach a door, he won't actually chase you through that door. Typically, no. uh, yeah. I mean I've never seen that happen. No, and there's always a delay between if you change locations, he will come after you into a a, a large number of the locations. Yeah. But there's a but there's a gap and there is a point where you know when you've broken the chase because the music the music yeah, changes. Yeah. Changes. And the other part is that he's become such an uh, iconic character uh that that sense of real danger and mystery sort of has has left him for me. Maybe also yeah. because mm-hmm. he's a, he's a playable character in um Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom Three, you know, that, that's <laughs> that's, that's, un, that's unfortunately the fate of all uh, horror icons. Um, yeah, the Xenomorph, uh, Jason, all of them. Yeah, Freddy. Yeah, so true. But yeah, um, very much so. I think you know, 
for me, this is the this is the second time um, a Resident Evil game has genuinely put dread into me because I felt like the previous entries, um, and I include um, yeah, yeah, pretty much all the previous entries. I think are a masterclass in tension rather than fear. Um, I I I'm always on edge on the edge of my seat, but I'm never really terrified. It's more just yeah. item management. You know, do I have enough bullets to deal with this situation? Whereas the whereas the threat of Nemesis, not Nemesis himself necessarily. I think I agree with you, um, Mikhail, that um, he's more scary off screen than he is on screen. But the threat of Nemesis appearing is kind of one of two times in the series where I. I felt genuine dread, that mm. kind of shivering fear that's more yeah. than just that, that's more than just the tension generated from yeah. item management and, and stuff like that. And I think it's very telling um, that we'll you know we'll get onto this, but Resident Evil Seven is very much drawing influence from Re- Resident Evil Three in this regard. Mm. Yeah, it, it, I suppose the 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 presence of nemesis the threat is that it there, there's a lot of um routine in uh, in resident evil isn't there there's a lot of uh, it's about taking control of your space and your environment and the nemesis is is the wild card isn't it although yeah. there are ways you know there's a certain amount of predictability to it certainly on replay but it's that thought of again for me the anxiety is as much about repeating repeating lengthy sections and having to remember the items that you collected or didn't collect and and shoveling you uh you know i switching items around in in your uh, magical item boxes and stuff like that so the fear is is the loss of time as much as anything yeah um and you can make peace with that to a certain extent if you ac- accept it as being part of the experience but yeah it's it's a change. It is a fundamental change to the formula up to this point. Whereas the rest of the game plays it very safe. This is the one thing that is noticeably different. Tadinho says from the forum on the Nemesis, there is a trope in horror fiction that I like to call the undying monster. This trope was popularised by movies such as Alien and Terminator, though you could argue that movies such as Duel and even Jaws did it first, and it involves a creature that constantly tries to kill the protagonist. But more than that, what makes this type of monster so intimidating is that no matter how many times you think the protagonist escapes or kills the monster, it always comes back. Nemesis from Resident Evil 3 falls exactly in this category. First off, one of the more brilliant things about Nemesis is how his design blends together different types of monsters into one terrifying combination. First, you have the imposing humanoid figure and trench coat reminiscent of the Terminator, mixed in with some body horror and alien design with his leather skin and tentacles erupting from his body, and finally his face that could easily pass for a slasher villain in a B-movie. While these visual elements form an interesting creature, their true addition is in making a monster that embodies multiple traits that together create a unique character. Nemesis has the calculating and relentlessness aspect of a machine combined with the viciousness and instinct of an animal, and most importantly, intelligence. Not a lot of it, but enough to make it seem that above anything else, this creature hates you. The best example of all these elements is probably in how he says his iconic phrase, stars. It's almost like he is reciting his programming, indicating that he is locked onto his target, but at the same time it's spoken with a guttural voice of something that is clearly not human and with a malice of someone that truly wants to kill you. 
This is not the only thing, of course. Other examples include how calmly he walks, he walks until he sees you and then starts to run like an animal chasing prey, how he gets angry at you during fights when you hit him enough, how he's capable of complex plans like blowing up the helicopter to prevent you from escaping, and lastly, how it never, ever quits. Even at the end of the game, when he's reduced to nothing but a pile of burnt flesh, he is still crawling towards and trying to kill you. In 1996, Resident Evil introduced a new kind of game after two games. The player base had become used to the game's rules, especially unwritten rules like enemies are slow, enemies can't follow you through rooms, and once enemies bleed on the floor, they are dead. Nemesis takes all these rules and throws them out of the window. I'll never forget the first time I realised that I wasn't dealing with just another monster. He had just reappeared inside the police station and I quickly ran to another room, thinking the danger had passed. I started walking, only to be startled again by his theme and a running monster coming to get me. Suffice to say, it didn't end well for me that time. Once Nemesis starts breaking some of the rules, you start to wonder, what other rules can he break? Are the save rooms that always provided me safety truly safe this time around? That feeling of uncertainty was something new, and it took players of the previous two games completely out of their comfort zone. More than that, though, Nemesis added a whole new layer to a Resident Evil game. Because of this, Nemesis' presence is felt throughout the entire game. Even when he's not on screen, you have to constantly think about him, and this creates a level of fear and anxiety that have never been matched in the entire series. So says Tadinho. Uh, well put, I think. And yes, it's not quite as simple as we've made out, because... From his first appearance onwards, uh, it normally uh, instigates a, I suppose you could call it a quick time event, but it's a live choice with a, a ticking timer. Normally, it's it seems, it, it, the, the choices seem fairly clear cut at first. It's generally fight or run, but it, it starts to become slightly less clear as the game goes on, I would say. Um, but fighting him on the hard difficulty, which is the normal difficulty, can give you uh, special items so there is a real risk reward situation here where you might waste or use I should say a load of ammo trying to take him down and possibly health but you may be rewarded with parts to a special weapon or a box that you can hold multiple first aid sprays in or even uh, an unlimited ammunition pack later on in the game um, I played it on uh, both times I think I played the most cowardly way possible <laughs> in each case um, uh, unwilling to take him on and use up valuable resources for what I felt might be moderate gains uh, possibly this is not the coolest or optimal way to play but it made it's, sense to me it seems uh, the thing a, a sane person would do you're sane did is that how you did it <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah i mean you know you you've been trained throughout playing the previous resident evil games that if at uh, if at all possible you should uh, conserve ammo and health items uh so if i had a chance to run i i ran mm. and, and you wouldn't necessarily know about these rewards until yeah after playing or reading about them or whatever exactly yeah and about the uh you call them uh, they're called the live action choices yeah, right something like that yeah i really like these especially the the ones where you get to choose uh an actual action instead of run or fight because by the way they're framed with the, the screen turning sort of into a negative. A negative yeah yeah it almost seems like you can make a wrong choice there like uh it's like a a, a a choose your own adventure book in which one mm. uh, path leads to a certain death but that's never the case 
So I yeah. quite like like that about them that they just give you a, a bit of a different outcome and sometimes a different route to to travel. That's true. Yeah, Josh, how about you? Are you sane uh, or are you a psycho? I never, I never fought Nemesis. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I, I knew about these items going in, um, but I just, I couldn't deal with Nemesis. Um, I, I mm. never really got um, so something we haven't gotten into really yet is the dodge mechanic, which is new for this game. Um, I never yeah. really mastered it um, in mm. any kind of reliable way. Mm. Um, I o- almost like you know. 50% of the time it was accidental so for most of these encounters um, with Nemesis I just ran. Um, it's hard to rely on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd be interested uh, Carl was going to be joining us on this show as well but he's uh, he's moved recently and doesn't have the, the didn't have the setup to replay the game or, or to join us but uh, I wonder if he might have been slightly more bold in his choices or possibly he would have been a cowardy custard like, like we are. <laughs> I prefer I prefer the term calculated, calculated, <laughs> sensible, uh, yeah, uh, uh, um, pragmatic. Yes. What's What's more, uh, the areas where he appears, they're not huge areas where you can freely move around him and have a lot of uh, space to create distance between him and yourself. He usually you encounter him in in like very small squares or very yeah. narrow streets. And yes. It, it seems just like a, generally just like a very bad idea to try and take him on. Of course, if you watch play players on YouTube who are good at this game, they absolutely torment the poor thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, always feel sorry for him. Um, they always go past on the side that he's weak, uh, and they, you know, perform the dodge with accuracy. Um, but yes, I had, I certainly had an issue with uh, one of the later boss fights where I'd left myself without uh, enough resource really um and uh, it took me it was only about four or five goes in the end but i was starting to sweat thinking if i get stuck here uh, i'm left with my original the rest of my original playthrough from um from the from back in the day because i'm not going to have time to do it again but actually it was one of those where i did it, it forced me to learn the game a bit better to master the systems a bit more and once i got through it i ended up kind of restocking um, and it was actually quite a lot more left to the game than I was anticipating. So I was, I was jolly glad I did do it. So, yeah, but but there were frustrations talking about, uh, as as we heard earlier from, from our correspondent, about those p- bits where he throws you and then you're supposed to button mash to get back up as quickly as you can. But unless you're really, 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 really fast, he can repeat throw you. And as you put it the other day, Mikio, it's like playing a good king player in Tekken. Just, yeah. <laughs> you just keep getting thrown. Um, only in at least in Tekken, you can start another game with full health uh in the future whereas here you're looking at using all your all your resources up and then reloading some you know period of time back so it becomes very frustrating and stressful um yeah memories of of horrible designs of the past of of yeah taking damage without being able to do anything about it so it has its moments of um of feeling like a game that's from from 20 years ago for sure Speaking of which, uh, we talked a little about the visuals already. Uh, the Resident Evil uh, engine is uh, used again, somewhat enhanced, uh, 2D rendered, pre-rendered backdrops with moving objects and enemies, some interactive poly- polygonal objects, a uh, few things to push around, although, as we've said, fewer than in other games. Um, they wanted to maintain this style because it allows them to have uh, the the more graphically detailed and rich environments, the, the first 
first Polygon game would be coming on the Dreamcast with uh, Code Veronica. We'll talk about that in a month. Uh, according to project supervisor Yoshiki Okamoto, the number of polygons allocated for the enemies would not be sufficient if they'd uh, gone with polygon backgrounds on uh, on this game on the PS1. We did not want to have blocky pixelated zombies, which sounds quite funny when you look at them now because they look quite blocky and pixelated. But uh, obviously... Been, they could have looked more blocky and pixelated. Indeed, absolutely. And obviously Metal Gear Solid did manage to do polygons and some pretty high-res stuff, but uh, I guess that game was kind of technically... Um, pretty impressive yeah. uh, interaction with the environment was improved so that the player could shoot objects like hey explosive barrels uh yeah so you can actually oh, yeah. uh, you can use the there's now a, um, an auto aim one on the uh, right one one on right two and right two allows you to actually target uh explodey barrels and various things like that in the environment always satisfying i mean you can have i think up to uh nine on screen now or something zombies again they've although the engine is the same they've performed a little pulled a few coding tricks to get a bit more out of the ps1 and uh, yeah you can get some pretty nice uh, zombie splatter fests and bonfires going and um obviously exploding red barrels are now a complete video game staple and cliche and they'd already been around for quite a while at, the, at this point but perhaps we hadn't had quite such uh, sort of dynamic, uh, dramatic situations where you might have a, um, a red barrel right at the front of the screen, whereas you're at the, and you're at the back of the screen and you're shooting to the front of the screen and seeing, um, yeah, bits of zombies going up in in chunks and and flames. So I still get a kick out of that. I don't know about you guys. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it feels uh, in in a game that's all about or a game series that's all about ammo con- conservation. That's just. It's a relief, isn't it? Yeah, it's a huge relief. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's, a, it's a great thing to be uh, to, to do. And there's a couple of other little moments, like there's a fight with a boss. There, there aren't that many incidental bosses, I suppose, because Nemesis acts as your constant kind of boss metagame or sub-game. There are a couple of... There's the straight- worm. Yes, the Gravedigger. Um, and the second fight with the Gravedigger is an actual fight. The first time you you sort of try to perform a puzzle quickly so that you can get away. The second time you fight it, you are trapped and you have to fight it, but you can actually use environmental uh, targeting to kill that one by shooting some uh, short-circuiting lighting pylons into a puddle of water. And if you get if you get uh, the, the Gravedigger, this big ugly worm with with teeth um in the in the electrified puddle uh, it takes uh, a, a ton of damage and probably dies a lot earlier and saves you a lot of ammo so there's a few little nice little touches like that let's talk about the difficulties then because this is really significant um so when i played it back in uh, probably 2000 it was i went easy for my own sanity but the difficulty between the two settings easy and hard is marked um, on on easy so hard is like a resident evil game so you, you start with a gun and whatever some ink ribbons possibly um or possibly have to pick up your first ink ribbon i can't remember um and a, and a first aid item and probably a knife and that's about it and and off you go on easy jill starts with a first aid kit which can carry up to three first aid sprays an assault rifle and two clips of assault rifle ammo also, all weapons are available at the item box, except the grenade launcher, Gatling gun and rocket launcher, which you have to uh, earn later on. Ink ribbons are infinite, allowing the player to save as much as they want. Nice. However, you can't get the risk and reward special weapons parts from the nemesis. Right. Uh, but really, uh, it infinite saves plus tons of assault rifle and, and health 
also I th- believe enemies uh, also take uh, less damage as well, and you and you take less damage uh, from it from them. Uh, so it almost in, seems yeah. unresident evil like, doesn't it? It's a, it's a crazy big jump. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I wish they'd. I think I think they probably should have just called it easy and normal. I mean, it's debatable yeah. whether hard is hard. It's it's challenging enough, but it's normal Resident Evil survival horror difficulty. I would say. Before uh, starting the playthrough, I really had trouble uh, reading easy and hard. You know that that with no gr- uh, grade in between there, that seems like a very tricky thing to do. And I, and I miss interpreted it as normal and hard yeah uh, but easy definitely halfway through the game we we had to conclude uh me and my friend that this was definitely <laughs> very easy yeah yeah i i wish i started on on the on the hard plate on the hard difficulty actually so uh still 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 got something to do i guess mm. yeah i think this is even easier than than previous resident evils though because I, uh, correct me oh, if yeah. I'm wrong. I I don't think Resident easy, Evil yeah. Two uh, Resident Evil Two didn't give you infinite saves on easy mode or anything. No, like no, that. just gave you more. Just no. you know, reduced reduced uh, damage from enemies and and increased damage on your part. Uh, but this feels you know this is bordering on kind of action game territory because um, I, um, I I think I made the mistake a lot of people did is when I first started this I picked easy thinking. Okay, if it's easy and hard, easy yeah. must be the normal. Exactly as Mikhail did, yeah. Um, That's what I did and as well, yeah. like I just, you know, after about half an hour of play, it's just I'm just breezing through this. There's no, there's apart from when Nemesis shows up, it's not real. There's no real wall here. Um, so yeah. I went up on uh, went to hard. And I think hard is maybe slightly more difficult than normal on Resident Evil Two, but it's not that yeah. much different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. As uh, I've, I've got it off my conscience now that I'd only ever finished this on easy back in <laughs> 2000 and, and I've now done it properly. And yeah, there were a couple of points where I was thinking, crikey, I may have overdone the healing here. Uh, I never I never got lower than one ink ribbon spare, I don't think. And I'm a I'm a compulsive saver being an anxious player and an anxious person. I saved 33 times throughout my game um, with a completion time of about seven and three quarter hours, which I think is very slow, uh, but that's just the way I play. But um, yeah, I had, that, had this blessed relief where after almost running out of health, I then got into the next section, and yeah, it was it was uh, it was quite generous with the old herbs and sprays. And uh, from that point on, I didn't have too many problems getting to the end of the game. On easy, also towards the late game, uh, we started crafting a lot of uh, ammo and Jill was just a walking arsenal at that point. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, I also had become very good at uh, headshotting uh, zombies with uh, with a shotgun. So every zombie that would walk up to me would just get his head blown off uh, right away. Yeah. With with one uh, one shell. Yeah. So it, it definitely was very a very breezy play- playthrough. And even because of all the uh, the ammo uh, I collected, or we collected, it was. Uh, even the threat level of Nemesis started to uh, decrease uh, in that sense. Mm. Well, let's talk about that uh, mechanic then. Uh, we'll come back to the, the the movement stuff. The ammo creation was something that I wasn't that keen to see when it first arrived. When I first played Resident Evil 3, I was quite happy with just collecting boxes of ammo from unlikely or sometimes more logical places in the game and dealing with that. Um, I didn't particularly feel like I needed another sort of 
anxiety-inducing <laughs> uh, resource management element. But uh, again, having played it through on easy, I'm I'm glad that this time I did play it through on the harder difficulty. You c- it's it's actually got there's more to it than I realised. So there's 13 ammo types which you can be which you can make from just three types of gunpowder A, B, and C. If you just so you have this device called a reloading tool. Um, I don't think it makes a does it make an appearance in seven, but not nothing since then. I think uh, possibly. Anyway. Uh, a gunpowder A is handgun, gunpowder B is shotgun, and C is when you combine A plus B, and that makes grenade rounds. Beyond that, you can combine various uh, combinations to make flame grenades, acid grenades, freeze grenades, which is C plus C, so that's quite expensive, but Nemesis is weak to freeze and it actually slows him down. Uh, I read that somewhere a while ago, and so I went in with that in mind. And although I have only ever actually made a couple of batches, two or three batches of freeze rounds, that was good enough to see me through the, the key boss encounters. C plus C plus C gives you magnum bullets, which are traditionally in Resi one of the most powerful forms of ammunition. Uh, You need very few bullets to kill anything with a magnum, but it doesn't have the same sort of negative effects on Nemesis as the freeze rounds. The thing that I hadn't really clocked, it does say you you get the sort of traditional instruction manuals as part of your files early on. You read them and, and file them away. As you do this, you get better at it. There's an experience Um, element to this game that I had really not clocked up until this recent playthrough. So the more you create a certain type of ammo, the more of that ammo you will get. So the first time, if you make freeze rounds, you might get 10. But if you do it another couple of times, you might get 11 or 12 and so on. And further to this, if you mix eight gunpowder bees making shotgun rounds you will then have the experience to create explosive shotgun rounds which are one of the most powerful all-round ammunitions in the game so there's there's some i think this is really cool is uh I, i've completely flipped 180 on this from didn't want it didn't like it to yeah this is cool it actually adds a whole layer of interest to right. zombie shooting <laughs> Yeah, that's that is very cool. The only thing is that it's kind of the whole experience of uh, crafting this ammunition is kind of marred by uh, Resident Evil's traditional inventory management uh, clunky system. menus, and yeah, yeah you so. still got limited slots. You do exactly. gain you gain two slots about halfway through the game, um, which helps. So there's there's a lot of going back into the magic item box and yes. pulling things out and putting things a- back in your item slots. Yeah. On a UI front, I should just like to mention as well, quality of life in the modern parlance, they've changed the the way that the UI looks so that you can actually see where your items are dotted around. There's a little sort of graph on the right, or not graph, but colored indicator on the on the right hand side so you can see what items are where and what type of items. So you generally have to do less scrolling, but there's still a lot of, uh, yes, pressing on item and moving yeah. the cursor around and pressing on another item. Yeah. I, I generally agree with everything you said. I think it's a cool mechanic, kind of mixing all the ammo types together. I think the one weakness, and I think this is something Resident Evil 7 fixes, is the re- reloading tool itself. Um, it becomes this thing that you constantly have to get, you know, go back to the item box to get. I'm not going to carry that mm. thing around <laughs> with me all the time Waste because yeah. it's waste of a slot. So whenever I get... Um, 
you know, ammo powder, I'm like, right, okay, I'm going to store up, you know, use up all these spaces on something that's, you know, fundamentally useless at this point mm. and wait until I get to the item box to get my reloading tool and then turn it into something useful. Whereas with um, Resident Evil 7, which I'm sure you'll cover in that show, um, it's just combining items. They don't have a reloading tool at all. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to just write, okay, combine this with this, and I've got this kind of ammo. So it's it's much more simplified and elegant in that game. Mm. Yeah, sure. Uh, I noticed by the the completion of the game, like it, it doesn't give you many bees at all many gunpowder bees throughout the game yeah. so that's how that's how it stops you from just creating a ton of the most powerful stuff and you have to really think about how you're going to use that it gives you quite a lot of a so obviously the the trap to fall into is keep making regular handgun bullets so if you combine a plus uh, a and a you get AA and AAA bullets. And then if you make, if you press that in with your tool, you end up with tons and tons of handgun bullets. So you could very realistically complete this entire game with nothing but handgun bullets. But obviously it would make your boss encounters in particular extremely yeah. long yeah. because you'd be just poking at them and poking at them. But yeah, it, it does play at that sort of prickles at that. Oh, I've got some gunpowder A. Should I use it now and make some handgun bullets? Because... You know there are there are streets of zombies and they repopulate at times and uh, and various things like that. But yeah. if you hold on to them, you can make you might be able to make freeze rounds or magnum bullets. So yeah, neat. As we mentioned, there's also some mechanical, uh, I would say, upgrades. Now, some people I think are negative on these changes to the controls because it suggests that they were it was the start of the game going down a more action game genre route. Whereas I think that these are, are simply maneuvers and sort of elements of control that are just preferable even for a simple survival horror game. Like it was it was already at this point in in 1999 starting to feel a little silly that you were just this motionless dummy standing at the end of a line just statically popping at things until they came towards you so just to give your your protagonist your your avatar just that little chance of uh, swerving out the way or pushing or, or fighting back in some way seemed to make a lot of sense to me so you've got this uh, dodge now there are definitely issues with the the timing of it and the fact that it's mapped buttons that you use for other things. Yeah. Um, but it's still, if hence you're the, Hence the ex accidental dodge activation. Loads yeah. of accidental dodging, but better than, yeah, better that than not dodging at all. Yeah. Um, I guess. So I, I think. <laughs> yeah, in most cases, the accidental dodge was actually quite welcome. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I think it was, uh, it was, it was overall, it was, it was, uh, it was something that, that I appreciated. Um, it just, it just needed, implementing more elegantly um on a yeah different different controls different ways of doing it and obviously that's something that that came in the series the auto aim I was surprised aim. to uh, to find out that the quick turn uh, appeared here uh, yes. the first time it's mm. funny how your memory can play tricks yeah. on you that you think it was in games before that already yeah no the quick turn was a was a huge the, the 180 swivel was a, a yeah. huge a huge boon and this is also uh, the game that removes the need to press the cross button to walk up and down stairs unless it's a transition yeah. um which is uh, it's interesting that because Code Veronica was being developed pretty much at the same time, you still have to do the 
button press in Code Veronica. So this almost feels like a, even though this is a previous gen game compared to Code yeah. Veronica, it's actually got some slightly more sophisticated interface elements. And we've got a three-word review coming up about that one. We have. So we talked about the Nemesis being able to pursue you around locations and from location to location, but uh, as well as you now being able to go up and down stairs without transitioning and then walking up and down stairs with no control over your character, uh, you can now run up and down stairs at will pretty much. But zombies can follow you. And not only that, but... Uh, branching into enemy type conversation we talked about the variety of zombies in terms of looks but also there are slower and faster zombies there are there are uh, almost uh, 28 days later style just the occasional running zombie and there's also the occasional slower one uh, like a, a heavier character sort of lumbering towards you so that just that adds a little something as well but yeah there's the fact that they can you, you climb to the top of a staircase thinking I'm safe here. These are like these are these are zombie Daleks. Basically, they can't do stairs, and then they start shuffling up towards you. Mm. Uh, yeah, good stuff. You can, you can kind of um, use that to your advantage as well. Uh, you can start funneling enemies so they group together, and if you've got a couple of shotgun rounds, it actually becomes more effective to use one to blast all their heads off in one go, oh, yeah. rather than kind of wasting handgun ammunition. They still cannot uh, uh, climb uh, after you when you're standing on a dumpster, though. No. 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 Zombies don't do dumpsters. <laughs> Another T-shirt design. Uh, enemy types also. Uh, it's the first Resident Evil game to have two different kinds of hunters, the beta and the gamma, and the only game to feature the beta variant. There you go. Uh, it sort of ties in with the, the scenario. We're still at the point of umbrella uh experimenting with all these these different sorts of things and some of the designs get rejected and, and so on and so forth so we've already mentioned that this game is lighter on puzzles than the previous game now i think we've said in in our resident evil one and two shows that there's very few puzzles in the resident evil games that you could really call a, a cerebral workout some of them will give you a few moments of pause for consideration what i will say is that there's one puzzle in this game right near the end that is probably the most puzzly puzzle up to this point which is the one where you have to uh, mix the water samples yeah right. and yeah. um that that actually took me a little a little thinking a little thinking time was that, to was that the one with the fountain no no uh, it's the one where you have to put it you, you put a water sample into a machine and then you have to twi ah. twiddle three dials and they sort of yeah. beep at you and you have to work out the how the the three uh, gauges line yeah. up to yeah. make the right tones kind of thing and i think yeah i would say there's fewer puzzles um, but the the fewer them there are are perhaps slightly more they, yeah there were there were slightly more moments where i'd actually spend like a couple of minutes actually on a puzzle screen going yeah. oh how do i work that one out although the yeah. the um the fountain one was i just it was it just seemed super obvious straight away i did it <laughs> literally in the minimum number of moves on the first go but you know i probably didn't the first time i did it so it's not like me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, like you said there are less puzzles but they seem you can call them uh, puzzles with a with a better better sense than what a lot of what passed for puzzles in resident evil 2 Will you press button to progress? Game is yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there's slightly more to it than that. Did you particularly slot in... slot uh, the uh, octagonal em emblem yeah. in the octagonal uh, yeah uh, shape? There's a little bit of that. 
Um, but even then, even those, there's one where there's where there's a book and you have to remove one book and to get to another and yeah, just slightly more to it than tab tab A into slot B kind of thing. Josh, did you like or hate or just didn't care about any of the puzzles I, in this game? I, I really didn't like the water sample puzzle, um, <laughs> mainly because um, I think it, it's mainly aesthetically. It just wasn't very visually interesting to kind of... It basically it looked like a bar graph below that you're trying to replicate in the the bottom of the yeah. the panel, um, and yeah, it, it. I think you're right. It is more like a proper puzzle than other parts mm. of um, Resident Evil games in the past. But just because it's it, it, it's it doesn't make it. I mean, I'm not saying that stuff before has made sense, but this doesn't mm-hmm. really make any sense. It's entirely abstract, and you just have to rely on your memory to know when you know the certain thing will line up with what. I eventually figured it out, but it just it was a bit irritating. I think I would have preferred the kind of standard um, kind of you know bookshelf shoving and and stuff like that than that it, it just really felt like the game was building momentum towards the end and that puzzle kind of really stalled the momentum for a good few yeah minutes. i can see that too but yeah i quite i quite enjoyed it it just yeah, it was a nice um it was a nice change of pace but yes as you can hear your mileage may vary listeners so uh depending on the path you've taken particularly i believe in later um, I don't know the exact branching path, but there are later encounters with the nemesis where you can end up in sort of different sections. The, the the bit before you get to the clock tower, there's a whole attack on a train sequence. And depending on how you deal with that, you can start in one of two places, but that doesn't ultimately change anything. I think it's the encounter on the bridge uh, sort of dictates um, how your final encounter uh, yeah. comes around with Nikolai. Nikolai will attempt to start a gunfight with Jill only to be taken by surprise by the nemesis. But in another event, Nikolai will hijack Jill's intended escape chopper and the player must choose to either reason with Nikolai or destroy the helicopter. Uh, If Jill negotiates with Nikolai, he reveals that he has killed the other supervisors and boasts about collecting the bounty placed on Jill by Umbrella before escaping. Regardless of Nikolai's fate, Jill makes her way to the rear yard and confronts Nemesis one last time. After an intense battle, Jill defeats Nemesis with the help of a prototype railgun before meeting up with Carlos and escaping the city via helicopter. However, if the previous escape chopper was stolen by Nikolai, Jill and Carlos will instead meet up with Stars Alpha Team's weapons specialist Barry Burton who helps them escape in his yeah, helicopter. Yeah. The thermobaric <laughs> missile vaporizes Raccoon City either way. Uh, I didn't see Bar- uh, I didn't see Barry, so... Um, yeah. yeah, me neither, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Another, another reason for a replay. Josh, did you see Barry? Is this because we no, all took the I... coward? This is because we all took the cowardly options, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So the more the more uh, the more um, positive you are, the more proactive you are in dealing with Nemesis, the more likely you are to meet up with Barry. Nice, good, good uh, reward. <laughs> I did. It... Uh, I did find myself uh, very brave for uh, opting to shove uh, Nemesis off the bridge. Uh, yes, in, in one instance. Yeah, so, so do I. Well, I think yeah. maybe it's the other way around. I felt, I felt pretty, very proud of myself. I think it's actually the other one that leads to the other ending, possibly. So yeah, uh, Resi Three experts will know for sure. They will also have no doubt experienced the joy of all eight epilogues. 
this is great fan service um, and for those people who love to repeatedly play through these games and get faster and better grades and all, all that good stuff is that that's still in here number of saves and time to beat and all that sort of thing every time you finish it you get a new epilogue based on uh, story events up to this point in the Resident Evil canon and lore this is all gospel I believe as far as I'm concerned um, assuming that uh, the writer uh, got these all signed off by flagship so you get Jill, Chris, Barry Leon, Claire, Sherry, Ada and Hunk's epilogues uh, obviously you don't have to complete the game eight times anymore you can just go online and read them as we've mentioned this game debuts the mercenaries mode subtitled Operation Mad Jackal so there was the extreme battle mode in Resi 2 but that wasn't quite the same and obviously there was Hunk as well but this is this is a mode where killing stuff gives you time and yeah. uh, you get various uh, loadouts depending on the characters. Uh, yeah, and it starts, I think, um, yeah, the future modes are based on the, the, the mode in Resident Evil 4. But this was this was kind of where this particular type of game began. I've had, I've had just a couple of plays of it and it's quite fun. But yeah. as you can imagine, uh, with the controls being limited to the controls of Resident Evil in 1999, it's perhaps not quite as um, free-flowing action as you might want from a contemporary game. You played a bit of this, Mikhail. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and indeed, it's uh, it's kind of fun. Um, I mean, the the modern mercenaries modes pit you in a close-off area kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, but here you actually have to make a trek from point A to B. So I I quite like that aspect of it. That, yeah, uh, diffusing have, bombs, you, a bit like the, a bit that that bit carries over from the yeah Resi Two game, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes the game a little bit more arcadey and uh, and actiony yeah. than it already is, and uh, yeah, a little bit tense in uh, in, uh, in its own way. So. Hard to imagine too many people being motivated to spend hours and hours with this in the year twenty eighteen and beyond, but you never know. Uh, yeah. Josh, I don't reckon you've played this. That's my hunch. Yeah, correct. <laughs> So based on your grade, uh, you can unlock some costumes. This has a, a, a larger set of unlockable costumes than previous games and many subsequent games as well, um, as well as a police costume for Jill, disco costume for D Jill, as if she could get any more disco, uh, <laughs> biker costume, stars costume, which I assume looks much like her Resi 1 costume. There's also the Regina from Dino Crisis costume, uh, which is cool and i wonder if uh, i was wondering actually thinking about how dino crisis although it was still to all intents and purposes resident evil style survival horror it was somewhat more actiony than the resi games and I, I wondered if maybe the easy mode on this was meant to sort of uh give a sense of that slightly more bombastic approach that dino crisis took i don't actually know who the producer on dino crisis one was i don't i assume it's not the same guy but i don't know i know that dino crisis 2 is very much an all-out um action game but i've never played it sadly uh, as you'd expect there are a, a number of easter eggs dotted around the game including um, adverts for biohazard 4 uh, references as you'd expect because it's in the city of raccoon you can expect lots of references to previous games such as uh, as the uh, uh, brian kendo gun shop and all that sort of thing um, there's yeah much much to be looked up one uh, interesting thing i mentioned there may have been a continuity error i'm not sure if i'm misunderstanding this but brad vickers is a secret zombie found in Resident Evil 2 
uh, as you'll recall, if you get to the police station by without picking up any items at the start, uh, he's a zombie. However, as depicted in Resident Evil 3, Brad is killed by the nemesis, um, but he's kind of impaled. So he's not bitten by a zombie, yet he becomes a zombie. Is this is this an error? Doesn't um, Nemesis's tentacle have the T virus? Yeah. Can it can it pass on the T because he infects Jill with the T virus? That's a very good point. Tentacle. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm uh, gonna yeah. And let's not forget also that uh, Brad Frick's appearance in Resident Evil Two as a zombie is kind of an Easter egg in itself. So you could also easily write it off as a non canon, right. I suppose. We'll let it go. Yeah, let it, just let it go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, less spin-off stuff that I could find out about this time than Resident Evil 2, which had a ton of... Remember, we were talking about uh, radio dramas and records and all sorts of things. Uh, there was another uh, Chinese manhua um, comic book series, basically. I don't know if any of this made its way uh, west or any equivalents, but... Um, yeah, I guess it's interesting. Yeah, that once again there was a manhua. I don't know if there was also a manga, but there you go. Uh, third drawing from the forum says Resident Evil 3 is where the series as a whole started to lose its way for me. It just wasn't what I wanted from a Resident Evil game. I wanted slow, methodical dread around every corner. Instead, I got a video game version of the bus that couldn't slow down. It was the nail in the coffin, the first nail in the coffin of the series for me. K-Sub-Zero 1000 says, I think it is very much a testament of my love for the classic Resident Evil series that even though I consider RE3 to be the weakest of the bunch, I've thoroughly enjoyed every one of my many playthroughs. If I had to summarise my issues with this game, I would say that a lot of its defining features sound a lot better in theory than they work in practice. The idea of an implacable antagonist who follows you through the entire game is just as great here as it was in Resident Evil 2, but the restrictive core mechanics are rather ill-suited to counteract Nemesis' hypermobility and aggression, which can make some of the fights against him rather tedious and frustrating, especially in the beginning. And it also means that the non-Nemesis bosses are few and far between, and usually fairly disappointing in their own right. The dodge mechanic is a nice addition to the overall toolbox, which certainly helps with the increased focus on action, but it is rather temperamental and doesn't mesh very well with the slow and deliberate nature of the other animations. The gunpowder crafting system is fun, but it can easily be abused to the point of borderline breaking the game. Brackets, freeze rounds. The randomised puzzles are a nice touch by virtue of remaining challenging even on repeated playthroughs, but a direct consequence of that system is that the vast majority of the puzzles are simply math-based, which takes away some of their creative potential. The randomised nature of some of the encounters and enemy placement is cool in theory, but can lead to some rather odd balancing issues considering how some enemies are significantly easier to deal with and how some environments are significantly easier to navigate than others. The quick time choice events are an interesting concept, but aren't usually making that much of a difference in retrospect. Some of them will simply result in a slightly different cutscene, and others will often result in the player visiting one or two dif- one of two different areas, both of which will be accessible later anyway. The game being set in the chaotic streets of Raccoon City was an ambitious choice, but it also leads to the environments being a bit too spread out for their own good and a lot less visually memorable than others in the series. The clock tower alone has a more distinct style than the endless streets and office buildings that precede it, which is why it's by far my favourite part of the game. With all that being said, the game does follow the incredibly solid structure of its predecessors, which is why it's important to take all this criticism with a grain of salt. It may not reach the heights of Resident Evil 2 or Remake, but it's still a fantastic game with solid gameplay, great replay value and lots of personality. 
Nemesis design is memorable. The mid-game time skip is really cool. Using a UBCS unit as supporting characters is an interesting narrative choice. The various epilogues are the good kind of fan service, and it gave us mercenaries. Great game all round, just perhaps not quite on the same level as some of the others. Yeah, interesting that now thinking about it, even though we established before that there's the locations are less iconic, mm. I do quite like the aspect of the environment that you can enter various buildings, like you end up in a bar or or a restaurant or something. Yeah, so it has a little bit of a small small variety there. Mm. Yeah, I certainly remember uh, my early experiences of running through the streets in the the uptown downtown early section of the game did feel yeah. very big back at the time especially for a game that that i assumed was going to be very small and short based on its sort of return to one disc i mean there's no real logic behind that because lots of massive games came with one disc but do you know what i mean like it yeah. seemed it seemed like it was going to be far s- smaller in scope but actually it takes uh it probably takes on average, more time to complete one playthrough of this than it does one of the four scenario playthroughs on on Resi 2. Um, and yeah, just actually navigating the streets of Raccoon City um, just felt treacherous in itself. Um, whereas going from room to room obviously had more claustrophobia to it. But yeah, there was that sense of you didn't know where you'd be next. Whereas obviously when you're going from room to room, uh, you kind of know you're going to be in another room if you see yeah. <laughs> yeah. now we have a good selection of three word reviews you may spot some themes here follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rince of course starting with Josh here Mechner says weirdest resi game Gadget 8-bit says inappropriate combat attire the King Rocker says where's her beret she's off duty yeah good point Colin Gerard says Tube Top Terror. Matthew Woolley says, That Blue Tube Top. And Bearfish Buy says, Trench Goat versus Tube Top. One Ryan Joseph says, One Sad Brad. James McCall says, Here He Comes. Alex Fusil, He Opens Doors. John Linneman says, Running on Stairs. Gareth Cutliffe says, Save Room Relaxation. We haven't talked about the music. How do we get this far without talking about the music? We'll come back to the music. <laughs> NECT, Jill's Last Escape. Mealtime Strategy, Valentine's Heyday Massacre. Very good. Yeah, how did we do that? Uh, that's that's my bad, but uh, we've got time. So uh, we talked we talked a little about uh, Nemesis's theme, of course. I think it's fair to say the, the general audio design sound effects wise is similar to the previous games. Uh, we talked about the voice acting, of course, but in terms of sound effects, I don't think there's a, a major. Is there anything to majorly separate this game from the last? I don't think the, the guns sound any particularly better or worse or um, the yeah. zombie moans again sound quite similar to what's come before. Yeah, you got the environmental ambient ambient noises uh, that you also heard in the outdoors uh, areas of uh, Resident Evil 2. Yeah, 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 sure. So let's talk a little about the score then. So we've got uh, Masami Ueda back and also uh, assisted in some part by Saori Maeda. Uh, I really have had the um, attract mode, which comes around very, very fast if you leave this game um just running in idle the attract mode just 
wraps and wraps and wraps and wraps and loops and loops and loops really, really quickly. So I have had that that little burst of music uh, in my head for yeah the best part of 20 years um, and I like it the game doesn't have my favourite of all the Saver and Musics at all it's far from it but I still it's still cool um, and I suppose overall the the soundtrack is fittingly slightly more uh, urban and bombastic sounding to fit the game um, but I do really like the yeah the tension theme for I say I like it it's effective the tension theme for the Nemesis uh, is is cool. Um, it would have been nice to hear all of this in sort of higher fidelity mixes. I think it's all quite compressed again to, you know, this stuff was being crammed onto these relatively small discs. So it doesn't sound particularly opulent or expensive and it's all done. It's definitely not real instruments. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's cool. There's some, there's some good stuff. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, effective is the key word here. I think everything works really well at the moment you're playing, but... There's nothing to me really memorable about the music in the game. Nothing that uh, I can really hum mm. or anything uh, no. of the sort. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I largely agree. I, I still, I know we've mentioned it before, but I still come back to the Nemesis theme. I think mm. that pulsating sound that goes along with it that sounds mm. like the throbbing of one of his tentacles is really, <laughs> really effective. Um but aside from that, I think a lot of what I would praise this game for is also present in Resident Evil 2. Mm. Yeah, I suppose the main the main motif is that ba 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 ba. That's the sort of the nemesis theme, isn't it? Obviously it sounds more uh it's deeper <laughs> and more urgent than that, but yeah, sounds very pleasant. Yeah. Ba, 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 ba. They could do a jazz, they could do a jazz <laughs> a big band jazz version. Uh yeah, right. Well, uh, much like the game, it, it feels like this is a, a relatively snappy and self-contained show. But uh, it is time for us to summarise with our feelings on Resident Evil 3 Nemesis overall. And I suppose whether we'd recommend it. One thing I didn't mention, of course, it is available on PSN to play on PS3. But you can also play it on a PSP or a Vita as well. So uh, there are easy ways to play this game if you don't have one of the, uh, the disc versions. But Mikhail, what do you reckon? I can be very short and snappy here as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what what the way I see Resident Evil Three following up from Resident Evil Two is that I think it dials back on uh, the scope and ambition considerably, which makes sense as it's being originally envisioned as a side story. And it seems that the whole show is really centered around Nemesis. He's the key defining feature of this single campaign uh, Resident Evil game. Of course, he's featured as the subtitle of the of the game as well in, the, in his Western title, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. Um, and does he make up for where the, the game otherwise kind of lacks in ambition? I think he does, yeah. Maybe not fully to that extent. I think my overall opinion uh, is very closely uh, in line with that of uh, K-Sub-Zero. But uh, yeah, definitely enough to make uh, to make the game stand out rather than it being could have could have easily been a sort of a, a lack, lackluster sequel, maybe in the sense that I thought it would be when I first uh, had had my brief first brief encounter with it back in 2000. I guess that sums, sums it all up for me. Fair enough. 
Yeah, I liked my time again with Resident Evil 3. I enjoyed it back in the day, but only when I put it down to easy, because for whatever reason, I was finding it too intense. Um, it doesn't have, for me, that same power now. It, I'm not going to say it never made me jump. There were still a few, uh, you know, jolt scares and a few uh, moments of dread. But overall, yeah, probably, you know, it's always going to depend on kind of where one is at in one's mind at the time as well but I didn't find this game uh, traumatic to play through in any way really this time other than uh, getting um, somewhat overly concerned that I was uh, I was short of resources in a, in a later game I was keeping rolling saves which of course you can do um, but I still hate having to redo lengthy sections in, in, in pretty much any game unless I'm absolutely you know, completely hooked on and devoted to the core loop. That said, I'm sort of going to contradict myself here because obviously we've played Resident Evil 1, 2 and 3 back to back now this year. It's uh, the end of March. We're going to be doing more. We've got Code Veronica coming up. We've got Zero coming up. And I'm certainly still enjoying the fundamental moment to moment of the classic Resident Evil games, obviously from a, uh, a, a and a, a study viewpoint it's in and research it's interesting seeing the the tweaks and the changes that were made to each game and the little design decisions that were uh sort of incorporated based on different directors and different times in the series so i I'm, I'm just naturally fascinated by all that stuff but did i actually enjoy the game yeah i did uh, i didn't enjoy the uh, the gravedigger boss fight very much i thought that was just yeah really lame um and the the fact that it's lost its uh it's lost its any kind of graphical luster so you're just fighting these big kind of wobbly fairly splotchy blocky polygons uh it doesn't yeah it doesn't really have the power to either disgust or distress anymore it just becomes an irritant and that that is yeah, is one of the the things about video games that and and discussing them as they get older but uh, but overall the moment to moment of navigating the city and collecting the items and going to the item boxes and um using the reloading tool to make different kinds of ammo thinking about resources management and going on different runs from place to place um that stuff still compels to this day and this game is nearly 20 years old so that's impressive um i don't know how strongly i'd recommend people play this it wouldn't be top of the list but the nemesis element does add something that isn't present in the other games to such an extent um and yeah if you fancy a bit of classic resident evil you could certainly do a lot worse i would think um in in the survival horror genre it's probably still yeah, still one of the one of the more leading lights anyway. But yeah, cool, cool, good time. Don't wildly recommend that everyone immediately rushes out to play this long lost classic. But uh, yeah, it was it was cool. Josh, let's conclude with you. Yeah, so I, I think this is a situation where expectations have certainly had an influence on my overall opinion. Um, I went into this, you know, much later than the other two panellists and with the knowledge that this wasn't really anyone's favourite in the series, um, I was just hungry for more Resident Evil. So I went into it thinking, okay, this will be fun, but maybe not as great as Resident Evil 2 or Remake. And largely... I, you know, I agree with that general consensus. I wouldn't recommend Resident Evil 3 over those two. I think Remake and 2 are 
just really impeccably designed when it comes to you know the mansion and the police station and i think the encounter design is is stronger overall but i i cannot overstate the effectiveness of nemesis as an antagonist he's he kind of stands out as this unique feature that only this game has and you know resident evil 7 tries to emulate him um but i think he this kind of stalking enemy is at its best in this entry um and i i ended up really falling in love with resident evil 3 um again like leon had said like i i think it's not the the best classic resident evil but it's it's nowhere near the worst i i if if you finish resident evil 2 and remake and you're still hungry you still got the urge to chow down on some classic resident evil action yeah give this a go because it has a few unique features that make it stand out even though it's weaker in other areas it's a good game <laughs> good game this uh, good game that we could save ourselves a lot of time by just doing a podcast <laughs> where we go good game Anyway, for more, it's a good game, or is it? It remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh and Mikhail, as well as our correspondents, editor Jay, I think, plus all of you for listening, of course. And if you have enjoyed this show and the others that we make, please do subscribe, rate, review, wherever you can. And best of all, patreon.com slash You can support us with just a dollar a month or more if you want. And get every Cane and Rinse podcast one week earlier, as well as an exclusive monthly minicast and uh, and our undying gratitude. As undying as the nemesis himself, although I'm still slightly reeling from the news that uh, the nemesis voice actor died. Um, he was not immortal after all. Anyway, after <laughs> we'll dedicate this show to him next time, though, in issue 314, Carl should be your host for our Marvel Puzzle Quest podcast.